to be in Psalm 51 again tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening, and if anybody's on their way, we ask you to bring them, bring them here, and we ask for you to bless those who are enjoying their Mother's Day celebrations. We ask you to guide and lead as we open your word, and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. All right, Psalm 51. Let's read the whole psalm again, and then we'll start where we're left off. Have mercy upon me, O God. O God, according to your loving kindness, according unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part of you shall make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide, thy, hide your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted unto you. Deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O Lord, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. Open you my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you desire not sacrifice, else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shall you be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then shall you offer, they offer bullocks upon your altar. All right. Psalm 51. This was written, as we said last week, there in the time when after Bathsheba and the, and the, the death of the son of, that their, their firstborn son that died. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also noted that this was more, probably at least a year after the event of the murder of, of Uriah and we know that because David was not a, approached by Nathan until until the child was was to die and that was the case of you had the nine months of gestation plus time for the child to be born so you have at least nine months if not more before David finally gets convicted because Nathan puts his finger in David's face and says you're the man mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to be looking, we're going to be starting at where we left off, and that is verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So this word create is always used of God. This create is not man creating anything. This is always a word used by God as the creator. So this is God, David saying, create in me a new, a clean heart. 
And David's recognizing that only God can create that clean heart in a person. And this is where the big, big uh, change will happen in people's lives. It's God that does the work. Psalm 51, verse 11, or excuse me, 10. So create in me a clean heart. And the heart in this is that the inner seat of our emotions. Okay, we've talked about this before. When they talk about heart, they're really talking about that innermost part of our being, basically our soul, our, our spirit, creating me a clean heart. And David is admitting that he needs refreshed. He needs to be revived. And we talk about revivals and everything, and this one of the things we're hoping to have in our day and age is another great revival. And revival has to start with God's people because to be revived means that you had to have something in the first place revivals get a kind of an interesting term because they, they use the term revival and they say bring the loss so they can get get saved but that's not really what revival is all about revival is to get God's people to come back to him in a new fresh way then they go out right. and share the gospel uh, because you cannot revive a, a lost person. They have to be born again to be, before they can be revived. And so David is saying, I'm far from you. I need that new heart. And he goes on to say, you know, renew a right spirit within me. And our goal is always to have that new, fresh spirit. When God talked, in Revelation, when, when Jesus talked to the Laodicean church, he's going, you've left your first love. You know, come back. You're neither hot nor cold. Come back. Yeah. You know, and God does not want people to be lukewarm. Huh? He doesn't want you. God does not want lukewarm people. He says, I'd rather have you cold because cold is easy to... You're, when you're cold, you realize you're cold. And it goes back to just like when I say we want it, when we go witness to people, we don't want good sinners. Good sinners are hard to... When you're hot. When you're hot, you're on fire for God. You want oh. God. You're, you're sharing God with people. Uh, and it's what I described this morning about when you first get saved and you, and you just can't see anybody without you know, telling them about God. What have you learned about his word? What have you... What, have you, what is he showing you in his word? How is he touching your life? Uh, and we see that. People get excited. They can't. And that's when, you're, that's when his word burns within you and you can't, you can't stay silent. You know, the, the idea of, like I was talking about Jeremiah, he got so tired of being persecuted and, and condemned and told that he was a traitor and that he was committing treason that he said, fine, I'm just not going to say anything for God anymore. And then he turned around and said, his word's burning in my mouth. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians said the same thing. God's word burns within me. I can't but talk about it. And hopefully we, get, we know what that means. Hopefully we've been there where we just can't keep our mouth shut. I can't keep my mouth shut. And when I get injured, uh, excuse me, I know God's with me because I, I believe in, like you say, prayer very, very, very much. And like, for instance, my thumb, I did a big number on it. And I did take, like I say, one pain pill, but I haven't took anything because I've been praying. And mm -hmm. I and hit, I don't even feel it, but it is <laughs> like crater, like to the bone. But 
I know. What? Did you get caught on? I fell. I had just a big glass in my hand and Ooh. I fell down and it went right through Ouch. my hand. Ouch. Okay. Sorry about that. But um, I always say to me there's a reason for everything and how I think of things. I don't know if it's right or not, but for me it helps me. The reason why this happened because he wants me to take care of my hand because I'm really rough with it. And it, it needs to heal the whole thing so I can't do my wiring and all my rusty stuff. And very well could and be. There's always a reason for everything that happens to us. There's a reason for everything, or it could have been worse. Yeah. You have yeah. a good attitude about it. And I even if it was, there's a reason for that. And then when I do get hurt, how I do things is weird. It's like, oh, yee, 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 yee. I talk like Chinese to that. Makes people good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was in the hospital, and they gave me two shots, and I was doing that. And I said, I'm sorry. It's just how I repeat myself. Yeah. So, so David is saying, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. I love this verse. No, God is the one that has to do the changing of us. And again, we go back to what we've been talking about. No matter what we do in our flesh, it's not going to be good. It has to be God. It has to be God that does the changing because he's the only one that can make the change permanent. Otherwise, it's just me doing it. And this takes us to, like I've said over and over, my favorite verse in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Christ crucifies my flesh. When I get away from him because of sin, I have to come back to him and confess that I've sinned. And then he comes back in and says, all right, we're going we're gonna to get rid of the flesh and we're going to renew you. So it's very important that we see this. Verse 12, um, Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David was concerned that God was going to cast him away. Now this is something that happens in the Old Testament a lot. There's this concern of God taking the Holy Spirit away. And I am not so sure that God took away the Holy Spirit except that they walked so much in sin that they did not fellowship with God and feel the Holy Spirit. Because I, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I do not believe that he gives and takes away things. But even we in our walk can get so far from God that we do not feel the Holy Spirit's movement in our life. We do not sense the Holy Spirit. And by Old Testament statements, you know, we would say God took the Holy Spirit away. No, I walked away from the Holy Spirit. I have put so much sin in my life that the Holy Spirit is not felt by me. But it's such a privilege to have him that mm -hmm. after we've done big boo-boos, then we think we don't deserve him, so God must have took him away from mm -hmm. us. Yeah, we, we perceive that it has. And it goes to that, the old poem, Footprints in the Sand, where the guy looks along the beach oh, and looks yeah. back and says, you know, during, during the hard time, God, where were you? There's only one set of footprints. And he goes, that's the times I was carrying you. You know, we don't recognize that. When we're really having a hard time, we don't necessarily recognize that he is holding yeah. us, he's carrying us. When we go off into sin, we don't realize it's us who left him. He, he's still on the path waiting for us or even right beside us waiting for us to turn back because all it takes is a simple prayer, forgive me. And God says, okay, come on. <laughs> Here we go, right back on the path where you left. And I look at, look at Abraham, who, who left Ur of Chaldees, stopped at Haran. God didn't leave him, but he also wasn't moving forward with him because he was in disobedience. He had to come back to God to go forward. You, you can't go forward if you're not moving. 
Well, you, there's no standing still for God either. We're going backwards if we're not moving forward with him. So there is no standing still with God. That's we're either going forward with him or we're regressing. Hi, Loretta. Hi, honey, Liam. Uh oh. So we've got this. We've got this whole thing. Then would you get her Bible out of the other room? We've got this whole thing that God is right there waiting for us. He doesn't leave us. We can leave Him, or think that we let, left Him, because we're so our sinful nature does not allow us to fellowship with Him. And this is the key. When we are in sin, he is still there. He is still with us. We're just not able to fellowship with him because our sin nature is going to, when God comes to fellowship with us, rejects him. And this is, we've said this before, God comes in, his Holy Spirit, his righteousness, his goodness comes in. And when we are living in sin, our first response is push away. I don't, I don't want your holiness. I don't want your righteousness. And you can see it. You can watch people as they, as they walk into a sinful lifestyle. They, they will drift away from God. And it, it's funny to watch people. You watch people who sit in the front row of a church because they're so excited about God. They want God. And then you start watching them go further and further back in the church. <laughs> and then they stop coming to the church at all. And you know that some sin has gotten into their life. You can't, you don't judge it, but you know that some sin has gotten into their life and they're pushing away that conviction. And you think about it, when you're living in sin, the, what are the things you don't want to do? You don't want to come to church and be around God's people. You don't want to hear a message from some pastor who's going to step on your toes. And then you don't want to get into the Bible because that convicts you. And then you don't want to pray because that puts you in the presence of God. And you, got, and you just pull back from everything and before long... You look and say, well, I haven't read my Bible, prayed, or gone to church in X number of days, months, years. And you wonder why or how. And it's because you got convicted and you pushed God away. I think deep inside they know why, how. Deep inside. Yeah, they know. But I've been there too where I pushed, God, where I pushed away from God. And, and it was a year or two before. And I got out of reading my Bible, got out of going to church. And not that I went into deep sin and all these things, but... I didn't want to be around God's people. I didn't want to be in his word because it convicted. And then finally, I just came back. You know, and I've said it was my second son that did that. Yeah, and then we forget about God. And then we get guilty when it's time to come back to God. And we feel, oh, I just can't go back. And David here is saying, cast me not away. He is so afraid that God is going to cast him away. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. That is a prayer we want. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because it is his salvation. We say that we're saved and, and that we've gone through salvation, but it is him that provides it. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have fellowship, that we could become his children, that we could have... Grace, everything that God has is given to us. You know, and the very thing that we've been going through for, for weeks now on, on Tuesday, who we are in Christ, all that goes on, that we're justified. God looks at us as, as if we are perfect. 
because Jesus paid the price. That is something we've got to be able to grab hold of. If we can truly 100% grab hold of the fact that God sees us as perfect because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we have great victory. Because when Satan comes along knocking on our hearts saying, hey, you're a terrible rotten sinner. How can you think that God can even love you? We can go, yes, you're right, Satan. I am a rotten, terrible sinner, but I am forgiven. I am forgiven and I'm going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Christ gives us that salvation that Jesus paid everything on the cross. And we grab hold of that and there's victory. There's great victory when we grab hold of that. When we really know that we're forgiven leads us to forgive others. Because if we think about that, where would we be without the forgiveness of Christ? You know, I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't got saved. Well, actually, I do. I'd probably be deader, deader in prison yeah. because I'd have killed, I would have killed somebody with my anger and my temper. You know, I, I know I would have. But God saved me and changed me. God has made different, such a difference in my life. And, you know, it amazes me when I look at the lost world and I'm going, how can they get by without God? And most of them can't if you think about it. How much suicide is out there? How much drinking and drugging so that they can try to forget because they don't like what they see because they're not seeing anything good because of what God has done. You know, and this is so important for us to say God is not going to cast us away. I want to check something here. I've got a, got a, got a verse that I want to look up and see why it's in my list because I don't remember why it's there. Oh, okay. First uh, Peter chapter one. Give everybody a chance to get there. First Peter chapter one. And read a, starting at verse seventeen. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of person judges according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed of corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as the lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily has foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was, but it was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that, he, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your soul in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto, the, through the spirit unto, unto unfeigned love, of the brethren, see that you love that you love one another with pure hearts fervently, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flowering of grass. The grass withers, and the flower therefore fades away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word by the gospel is preached unto you. So we want to look at this. God is saying it's forever. Everything in, everything in the world falls away, it withers, it disappears, it 
but God's word endures forever. Our salvation endures forever. We want to make sure people grab hold of that. God is not an Indian giver. When he gives us eternal life, it is eternal. And I love that. That's the easiest thing I can do. You know, when God gives us eternal life, it is eternal. And the key to our eternal life is it starts the moment we accept Jesus Christ into our life. Eternal life doesn't start when we get to come to heaven. It starts the moment we are saved. We are given a life, and that life is eternal. Where God renews our spirit. He resurrects our spirit, which was dead, on, uh, dead through the sin of Adam and Eve. He, we get saved, and he gives us a spirit that's alive. And there's a long theological part about that, but just believe that, you know, you started out with a body and soul. You were, you were flesh that was animated by a soul. Then you're missing something. You're missing the spirit. God get, you get saved, and God says, here is your spirit, a new creation, a new, a new life. And with that new life, we're able to interact with God. And that new life is our eternal life that's going to be forever. When we die, we step out of this world and we, are, we leave this world and we step right into the presence of God and our eternal life continues. Our body dies away, our flesh dies away, but our spirit and soul continues right in, right in God's presence. Then when the, when the resurrection happens, the, 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 call to, the call of Jesus at the rapture, our bodies will be glorified and you'll get a new body if you're dead and our bodies that we have will be glorified and we'll meet him in the air and we will be complete in heaven for seven years while we wait for the end of the tribulation then we'll come back with him in victory and rule for a thousand years and then we'll see the new the, the heavens and earth destroyed and a new heaven and earth created that should excite us Mm -hmm. excite us that, our, our, that we will never have to worry like David did here that he's going to be cast away. We may feel like we're going to be cast away. We may feel like he's rejected us because of what we've done, but he does not reject us. He does not cast us away. David was said, Somebody's, uh, your, throne, you know, your seed will sit on, your th on the throne forever. And the amazing things, when you read all through Kings and Chronicles and see how God kept David's throne filled. And you watch what he did to Israel. Israel had three different dynasties. But, but Judah only had one dynasty. David's son from beginning to the time they were taken away into captivity. And then Jesus fulfills the, the one who's going to sit on that throne forever. Because he is of the tribe of Judah, of the lineage of David, and sits on the throne forever. Now you said about a thousand years. Is that a thousand God years or a thousand our years or? It says a thousand years, so I'm going to say years. I'm going to take it that it's a thousand years. Because we never, I mean, that weird because we never lived mostly a hundred years. But yes, but Adam and Eve and those yeah, generations lived yeah. to nine hundred years. So yeah. our body, you got to remember, the body is created mm -hmm. to live forever. The amazing thing about our body, and science doesn't really understand why we even age, because our body changes and renews itself every couple years. Every cell in your body has been totally replaced. Okay? And, and it's designed to live forever. And when God, when God created us, he, we were designed to live forever without sin. And when sin entered this world, it's changed 
something in our bodies to allow aging and death to enter into our bodies. Maybe sin gave us the age. Like it, it, it definitely did, yeah. and we've corrupted our gene pool now to the point where uh, we don't live near as long as they did back then, and diseases are starting to be rampant. Okay, they're trying to say that man is causing all the cancers and all the tumors and everything, and yes, we are adding to it, but it is also the degradation of our DNA that's causing these problems. We're so far from Adam and Eve's perfect DNA, and DNA always degrades. In spite of what evolution tries to tell us, our DNA is degrading. It's not improving. And that's, and that's one of the things that throws the poor biologist crazy is because the more they look at the cell, the more they see it coming apart at the seams. And yet, by their evolutionary teaching, the DNA should be getting better <laughs> over the years. And it's not. And we're seeing more and more destruction, more and more genetic diseases, more and more problems that are just out there because the gene pool has been so polluted in the 6,000 years since creation. And so we're in a place where God is saying, when we get to that millennial kingdom, he's going to say, okay, you're now going to live, you know, live for the full length you're supposed to live for. Because it is going to be a perfect rule anyway and he'll, and he'll block some of the, the genetic diseases and stuff, and it'll be a thousand-year reign and where people are going to live perfectly. There won't be sin during the millennial kingdom at all. We won't sin because we've got glorified bodies. We won't even want to sin, but the people who make it all the way through without taking the mark of the beast and manage to live will be forced by the iron rod of Christ's rule to be perfect. And then Satan will be released at the end of the millennial kingdom for one last hurrah to try to get people to sin. And there will be people who are going to want to sin because they have their sin nature and they've been forced to live right for, 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 for all that time. And there'll be kids born during that period of time that have lived under perfect conditions. And it'll be proof to man that even though you live in a perfect world and with no, no temptation, you'll still want to sin because they are sinners. And it's going to be a harsh time. All right, let's look back at Psalm 51. I have a question. Yes. Didn't Judah rise up against Israel at one point? Judah and Israel fought each other all the time. during the, during Well, not all the time, but well, frequently during, during learned, their years. I just kind of learned that recently. Yeah. So that answers my question. Yeah. They, were they, they, they joined together oftentimes into battle against different people, and they also fought each other all the time. So, wow. That was uh, when, when the kingdom broke up under Rehoboam and Jeroboam after Solomon, they were at odds with each other from that point on. Jeroboam is responsible for Israel, uh, uh, the Israel or the northern kingdom, you'll hear it called. And... He, he did not want the people to go to Jerusalem to worship God on the, on the holy days, so he introduced golden calf worship. Right. And golden calf worship continued all the time from Israel's existence till the time they were taken into captivity from Assyria. They worshiped golden calf. Now, they also oftentimes would worship Baal and Ashtoreth and, and, and Malak and all these other gods, but they always, no matter, no matter how much they cleaned up, they always worshiped the golden calf worship. And you will hear that called the sin of Jeroboam sometimes. Uh, and that's golden calf worship. Is Judah a 
on one side of Jordan and others uh, <laughs> on the other. No. Dan and Dan. You have north. You have north and south, and not not east and west. Not you have north and, and south. West. You have Judah and Benjamin in the south, and they they made up the, the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Dan in that too? No, Dan, Dan, Dan was in the north. Dan is as far north as you can go in Israel. And Dan was part of what's called Israel. And it gets kind of confusing because they're all Israel, but yet when the kingdom splits, you've got the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. But even sometimes they'll refer to Judah as Israel. So it gets very complex and you have to keep, keep track of it. Um, Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. Oftentimes we need to come to God and say, restore. And then I love this in verse 13. He says, then, then I will teach transgressors in your ways and sinners shall be converted unto you. When we are experiencing the joy of our salvation, we will be able to teach sinners. We will be able to witness. If we are not enjoying our, our salvation, we're not, we're not in a place where we're enjoying salvation. We don't have anything to give people. We have nothing to give people if we're not enjoying salvation. If we're not enjoying God, there is nothing for us to give to people. You know, what, if you're not enjoying God, you're going to go, well, you, you really should come to God. I don't know really why you should come to God, it's, you know, but you should come to God. But if we're enjoying, you should know what God's doing in my life. Look what he's doing. and how. We, you, know, you see the difference in that? If you're enjoying God, you're going to have something exciting to say about God. That's pretty bad when I have injuries. I always enjoy because I know we feel That's pretty bad for no, it is not. <laughs> I mean, anything that makes you aware of him, I think, is is good. It's good inside yourself. But I don't want to keep on injuring myself. <laughs> well, Lord, I've got to find a different way. To I know. Yeah, I've got to find a different way. It's well, fun. One of, if you remember the quote that I gave you guys from uh, Amy, uh, Nancy Lee DeMoss, was anything that brings me to God is a blessing. Amen. Okay, and that's something we really want to think about. Whether it's something that seems terrible and, and <laughs> disastrous, if it brings me to God, it's a blessing in my life. Uh, and sometimes, because we're so hard-headed and stubborn, sometimes it takes God <laughs> smacking us upside the head and saying, hey, pay attention to me. And especially for some of us like myself that are extremely hard-headed, sometimes God has to hit me pretty hard to make me, make me come and say, oh, yeah, right, God, I'm supposed to be doing something for you. But it says here that if we have our joy, give me back the joy. And it says, then I will teach others. Then I will bring, bring sinners to, to salvation. Because we have to have something that's joyful. If we're all sad and mopey, people are going to look at us and say, well, why, why do I want to be a Christian? Yeah. You know, right. Why would I want to be a follower of this God when all, you're, when all you are is sad and mopey and nothing's Man. good and crabby? Yeah. Yeah, you're just like everybody else. Well, why would I want to be part of it? Well, I've been up there because yesterday was the first day I had a bandage off since it happened, and I know it was going to hurt. And my friend Rita, I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but I didn't hear 
is I, she said, make sure you take a pain pill. I said, you know, I don't need to take pain pills. She said, what do you mean? I said, I believe in God, and God's going to take care of my yep. She said, well, you know, that's what pain pills are for. I said, yeah, but I believe in God, and that's what, how I do things right now. I used to be the other way. And so I was talking to her a lot, you know, and I think maybe that's how she's hearing some of it, because she doesn't. And so I said, she said, doesn't hurt. I said, no, because God knows that I act them. I don't want pain, and I don't have pain. It doesn't hurt at all. Yeah. And she was like, it's hit that. It's a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it in the past. I was happy, and I said, no, I have no pain. I've really enjoyed in the past talking to non-Christians as if they were Christians and telling them all about God and, and having them have that look in your eyes like, are you insane? Well, she's, you know. a, she's a nurse, and she works at all kinds of hospitals. And yeah. Well, you know, they do make, I said, yeah, but I don't need it. Yep. We have a friend, Diane Schreiber, that her horse, as she was coming out of the trailer with it, and she had the rain wrapped around her hand and her fingers, and it snapped. I don't know if it tore her thumb or not. Three. 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 It snapped the end right off of all of them, and she said she never felt yeah. pain, not one time. No, because before when I had your eye pain, because I wasn't focused, but now, you know, it's, um, it's, I, I think it's cool. I love it. You know, I mean, it's good Yep. All right, verse 14. Deliver me from the blood guiltness, O Lord. You, God of my salvation, and, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. We sang that song this morning, Redeemed, and that verse in there, I can't help but sing. I love to worship God and sing. I love to just go before God and just praise him. Mm -hmm. But I know the words, I can't sing at all, but I know probably half of the people, I sing loud, and I know I sing terrible. But I don't care. I know, if I know the verses, especially the chorus, I'll sing it loud. And that's fine because God says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. And you know what my sister tells me? There you go with that wing eating. Wing <laughs> <laughs> I There's a recitation, which is a song without. It's, it's, a, it's a talking song. Brother Ives or Imes or something like that. He ain't singer, but he loves to go to church, he loves to go to choir, and he loves to sing in the choir because he's praising God, he's worshiping God. And they moved downtown to a bigger building they built, and fancy robes, and they come and ask him, would it hurt him too much or bother him too much if they asked him not to sing in the choir? <laughs> well, his voice just wasn't that good. And... He said, well, no, that'll be all right, but when I get to heaven, will it be good enough for them? <laughs> and you know, he didn't come back to church, because he died. Mm -hmm. but, but it really is important that God wants us, if we are totally enjoying God, yes. we're not going to be able to keep our mouth shut. We're not going to be able to not, not praise him and give him glory and, and sing to him. Uh, and it should be part of our lives, not just Sunday morning, not just, you know, but just to sing. And every once in a while when I'm in the car and they're, you know, you normally I'm listening to speaking, but every once in a while they'll put a couple songs between there. There's oftentimes when I'll just sing the song with them and, and just 
be singing songs. Especially in the car, because you really know how to do that. I make up my own songs. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. I'll be driving by myself, and I'll be praying, but I'm singing, you know. Yeah. And when my brother was out here, and John was in the hospital, I'm home, and I'm praying. He said, Loretta, will you stop humming? <laughs> it bothers me. I said, no, I'm not humming. I'm praying. <laughs> and then he's like, well, excuse me, don't interrupt. This is between me and God, not me and you. But he, he didn't say anything for a while. Well, I get real low, and after a while, I'm, ah, you know, like, oh. I, uh, I have a student that sings Christian songs in the classroom. We were coming from lunchroom to the classroom, and she's singing songs, and I says, Wait a second, that's the last verse, Justin, you're mixing them. He says, I like the way I sing it. <laughs> I says, you know what, the last time you sung a song like this, I says, I hummed it all day long. <laughs> that sounds like me, a lot of times I get the words mixed up, so I just put all different yeah. together. Well, it sounds good to me. Yeah. And you know, God doesn't care if we mix up the words of a song or invent our own songs. Because, I have things to it or change it. <laughs> because the key to this is that we're worshiping him. And what we need to remember is that the fellas or the girl or the old lady or man sitting beside us, there you are. You can't even uh, pay attention because they're not singing to you. It's between them and God. Yeah. And this is, this is the thing that music has been the biggest problem in most churches in all those years. Because there's always those people that are not happy with the song. They don't like the style of the song. They don't like the newness. <laughs> I'm fine. I just hope this is okay. I'll get the tea later. I'm not worried about the tea. We'll get it. Um, anyway, um, worship has been something that's always been a problem because it's funny that the things that we think of as old hymns in their day were brand new songs and they were rejected, you know, uh, and they, because in the, the hymns used to be the modern day music and we look at it as crazy music and all of that nowadays, but in their day, they were contemporary. And, and we look at them as old music. And we look at the new stuff and say, oh, this is contemporary. And there's people looking and say, we don't want this contemporary music. It's, it's, it's too much like the world's. And Martin Luther, when he was introducing the songs that weren't Gregorian chants to the people, he didn't know any other music. So he made words and he wrote them and he put them to the bar drinking songs of their day. So here they are singing Christian, muse, uh, Christian words to bar songs. And you want to talk about people who had an upset time with him? You know, you can't bring that bar music into our churches. Uh, how'd you know it was bar? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been there before or what? But you've got to understand, music has always been. So what we want to always remember is the music is not for us anyway. What we're singing is not for us to like or dislike. The music is to praise God. And so when we're singing those songs, it's not that we're sitting there trying to figure out what I like and what I don't like that is irrelevant. It is, am I singing to God and is he being worshiped? 
And that's all he wants. He wants to be worshipped through their music. During the uh, Second World War, or way, 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 way back, uh, Postman wrote a song. And I wish with all my heart I could tell you what it was, but I can't. It, he couldn't sell it. He couldn't get a church to try playing it. Not Nothing. And his grandchildren, after he was dead, asked, could we please sing our grandfather's song on church, on TV, because we believe that it's worth hearing. After all those years, it took the Dove Award in gospel singing that year. Everybody was singing it. Mm. Uh, we, can you remember what it is? No. Because there's some too many too many stories of that nature, so it'd be impossible to figure out which one and which one it might be. And the key to this on worship is always, am I doing it for God? Am I worshiping God? Whether it's contemporary music, whether it's hymns, whether it's old old music, and music transcends everything. The amazing thing is, if you ever go to a foreign country. They sing the same songs that we do with different words, mm -hmm. and you can sing them with them in English and in German or Russian or Yugoslavian or whatever it is, and you can enjoy fellowshipping with each other because the tune transcends the language. Like my sister Yaya and Amazing Grace, you ain't never heard it sung until you heard it sung in Navajo. Yeah, and. <laughs> And during the First World War, they, there was a Christmas time, and it's a very famous story where each side started singing Silent Night and ended up with a one-night truce because they, they just gathered around the idea that they were both praising God. And there was a one-night truce where they came together and traded back and forth different items. And it's a very old story. It's been around forever. You know, and, but it is that God's music can sometimes transcend So he says, my tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. I love that. My tongue shall sing aloud your righteousness. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall spew forth your praise. You know, the idea of spewing, you know, that is just throwing it out. <laughs> you know, throwing out his praise. But you notice what he says, open my lips and I shall spew forth your praise. Because it takes a relationship with God to be able to praise him. And you can see it, you can oftentimes see it, if you look at crowds when, when, when God's word is being preached, when, God, when, the, when the, the songs are being, being sung, you can see how people are responding to, to it. You can see those who are very much into this is praise of God, those who are just singing words, 
And this is the thing we got to be very careful of, is are we just singing words or are we thinking about what we are saying? When we sing some of these songs, there's some power in our songs that we sing. There's some power in our hymns. And oftentimes, and I'm guilty of it myself, I'm really guilty of it myself because I've got so many of them mostly memorized. It's real easy for me to sing the song without really thinking about the words. And when you think about some of these words that are in these songs, they are powerful words. You know, powerful words in these songs that these people wrote. Amazing Grace is one of those songs where we all know that song and how easy it is for us just to sing that song without thinking about the just words. Her voice was it last night late she sang Amazing Grace and it was so, so good. Mm -hmm. And all of the people that were jumping, they said that we can tell that that song really meant and that's the key that's the key it means something to you and when the song means something to you you're going to sing it with all of your heart your whole being gets put into it uh you know and it's true of anything if you really care about what you're doing it's more there's just more to it and so we want to be able to see this god is to open our mouth god is the one that makes it so that we can praise him because we're so in love with him it's just like if you've ever met somebody or remember back to when you were really in love, you talked about that person all the time. Probably your friends were sick and tired of hearing you talk about that person. You know, and maybe you know somebody who's very much in love and all they ever do is want to do is talk about that person. And you're, and you're sometimes thinking, well, you know, aren't, aren't you tired of talking about them yet? You've been talking about them for you know, days, months, years. Especially when that person's that in love with somebody they didn't even in love with them back. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it was my turn. All right. Verse 16. For you delight not in sacrifice, else I would give it. You delight not in burnt offerings. And this is talking about, this is the same thing that we've seen in other places. God wants obedience more than just a sacrifice. When, when Samuel talked to Saul, he says, and Saul did a sacrifice without Samuel, he goes, you stepped out of line. You're now going to, you know, you, know, you haven't obeyed God. You've stepped out of line. Isaiah 11, 111 says the same thing, that God delights not in sacrifice. He wants obedience more than sacrifice. Hosea 6, 6 says the same thing. Hosea 6, 6 says that same thing, that God delights in obedience rather than sacrifice. He doesn't want just sacrifice. He wants obedience. Why does he not want sacrifice? Because sacrifice is just a matter of rote activity. I can give a sacrifice without caring about God, without wanting God, just because I'm thinking that it is a rule. And we go back to this whole idea. Am I following a list of rules to try to please God? Or... Am I truly worshiping God? A lot of people, Pastor, I think, will follow tradition or they'll even do different religious things because they think it's right and they don't even realize that what they're doing is just doing something without or Yeah. Well, a lot of, by following tradition and rules, it's me doing something and I don't have to walk by faith. All I've got to do is follow these set of rules, and that's why religion is so popular. 
Christianity, and we've talked about this before, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the God of the universe. Religion is a following of set of rules. And people love a set of rules. As long as I do 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, I'm okay because I followed the rules. And so it, it says, okay, my flesh is involved. I'm able to earn my salvation. I'm able to do something and say that I followed God and I don't have to walk by faith. And that is why the relationship is so important. I get to walk with God. And not that he gives me a bunch of rules. I have to learn to listen to his voice. I have to learn to let him live through me. Annie? I really like, and that's twice this week, whether it was you I was talking to or the radio, that the law is what it is. He does not tell lies. He does not murder. He does not steal. He would never, if he were a human being, take his brother's wife or his and he is the law, or is the law him? And I like that you pointed that out today, and it just made an understanding to it, that give it a total different perspective of understanding. Right, because we are we follow the law when we when he is living in us, and he is pouring out, we will obey the law, because it's him pouring out, and we will be more obeying of the law that way than if we're sitting there trying to figure out, okay. Here's the rule. How close do I have to get? How, how far can I push this rule without crossing it? Uh, you know, and there's a, there's a counseling session for, premier, uh, for, for teens about sex, and it talks about this picture of the, the queen choosing her suitor, and, or the princess choosing her suitor, and they go, okay, how close will you let the princess come to the, you know, to the edge of this cliff before you pull her off? And so the suitors mostly will let her get right there. And this one guy goes, I won't even let her get anywhere near there because I don't want to see her hurt. Too often in sin, we try to say, how close to the edge can I go without crossing, crossing that mark? And that's the wrong attitude towards sin. Our attitude towards sin should be, how far can I stay away from this sin and not be tempted? Not how close can I get you know, and this is where people get to, okay, well, you know, how close can I get to sex without me being actually into sex? And that question is being asked a lot by teenagers, especially Christian teenagers who want to participate with their friends but don't want to go all the way, and they're going, how close can I get? You know, stay, right, right, stay out of the back seat of the car, you know, stay out of the rooms alone, stay out of these dark rooms, you know, stay away from anything that can lead to it at all. Because we want to stay away from sin. The question is never how close, how much can I, how much, how much truth can I not say and still not be lying? Well, according to Leviticus five, anything that I say that's not true is a lie. You know, anything I don't tell that I know is true is a lie. So we want to be careful because the question is not how close can I get to the sin, you know, not cross the line, but I need to stay away from the sin completely. And this is why a list of rules never work because you get to be like the Pharisees in Jesus' day that had all this long ways of figuring out how they could manipulate things. You know, on the Sabbath day, they could only walk a certain amount of miles. So what the, what the Pharisees would do, would, they'd take something out of their house and they'd plant it, they'd, they'd, they'd put it in a little you know, shrine you know, at the distance that they could walk and say, okay, this is, this is now part of home because something that from home belongs here. So they'd get there and they, could, they decided they could walk another Sabbath day walk from that spot 
because that had something of home, and so they hadn't left home. You know, rather than use the common sense of does this need to be done. Rather than using the common sense of what God said, you know, you know, but you've got these things where if you have a list of rules, then you start trying to come up with these ways to manipulate the rules and say, how close can I get without crossing the line? Or how can I make a loophole in this so that, I, that I'm not crossing the line? And this is where God is saying, I want you to follow me completely. You're to follow me completely. And if he is the one working out of us, we are following him. And we're going to be walking in the law better than we ever did by a bunch of rules. So verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will not despise. Contrite is literally crushed, broken. So basically saying broken. Twice. Twice there. He wants us to be broken. And that means that not just, not defeated, not broken in that we're defeated, but that we recognize that we're a sinner, that we recognize that we need God and that we need his power. That is where everything really boils down to how am I going to walk with God? I cannot walk with God in my pride, in my arrogance, in my strength. I am not going to walk with God. Verse 17 out of the Amplified. My sacrifice, the sacrifice acceptable to God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, broken down with sorrow for sin and humble, humbly and thoroughly penitent. Such God, O oh God, you will not despise. So contrite and all this stuff is being broken, being humble, being, being brought into a repentant nature. Because if we try to come to God in our arrogance, our pride, God, look at me, look how, look how good I am, look at, you know, look at what I deserve. And I've met people that think that way. A lot of churches are full of people that think that way. You know, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really it. I'm the... I'm the you know, I am the end all. I am the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, look at me. God's going to say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. If we come to him and say, God, I am, I am just broken. I am worthless. I, I don't deserve any of this. If you can look at things going on in your life and say, look at this. I deserve all of this. Then you've got the wrong attitude. On one sense, yes, we deserve it because of the grace of God. But it is only the grace of God that allows me to deserve it. I've got to be broken. I've got to be humble. Well, you can tell if you've got a broken thumb or broken arm or whatever, but God knows when you have a broken heart. You can tell the heart or heart yeah. whether we're happy or not. Well, the broken heart will be, will be revealed to you that when you look at somebody and, and you see somebody headed for hell and you want to weep, yeah. you, want to, you, want to, you just want to somehow convince, look at them. You see somebody that's living in sin and, and seeing the destruction it's doing to their life and it brings you to tears. You know, if you're in a place where, well, they're getting what they deserve, you don't have a broken heart and a contrite heart because you're looking at them saying they deserve it. That broken and contrite heart goes before God and says, God, I guess, why? We can't, we've got, this can't go on. We've got, you know, help me stop it. Help us, you know, make, let's do something. And it drives us to serve God. That broken and contrite heart drives us to serve God because we're concerned about the individual. And this is, this is what I've said over the years. I've learned to love people. For years, I didn't love people. I didn't even like people at all. And to see them going to hell didn't break my heart, didn't hurt, didn't harm. But now I'm to the place where 
I don't want to see anybody go to hell for any reason. I don't want to see people hurt. I don't want to see people even who deserve to be punished, be punished. I want them to come to Christ and be saved and be broken. And that is where we're supposed to be, being broken and contrite that says, God, I want, I want to see the world. I want to love the world the way you love it. I want to love people the way you love them and be broken. Jesus, when he went, was headed down to Jerusalem he, on his last week, he looked over Jerusalem and he wept, Jerusalem to Jerusalem, how often I have longed to, to bring you under my wings. He loved Jerusalem, even though he knew that the people of Jerusalem were going to crucify him at the end of that week. And yet he loved them and wanted them to come to the Father, come into salvation without going through all the stuff that they were going to have to go through. And we need to be that same way, where we love people so much that we just want to see them come to Christ. And that's all that matters is for them to come to Christ and be able to be saved be able to come from their their harmful and their harmful activities and be repentant when we see other christians who go into sinful lifestyles our our thoughts shouldn't be well i hope they get what they deserve it should be please repent come back to god you know come back to god he wants you he wants to love you we should never want to see people people crushed we should never want to see people destroyed because of their sin and God is saying he wants the true sacrifice, the absolute sacrifice, and that is to give to God something of ours. He wants us to give up all of our, our, our own will, our own pride, and turn to him. That's the sacrifice he really wants. That sacrifice that leads to obedience, saying, God, I want to give you all of who I am, which is worthless, and I'm going to give it and put it on the altar before you, and you give me a new life. You crucify my flesh. You give me that new life. I'm putting it on the altar for you. And God won't despise that offering. He won't despise it. Matter of fact, he'll love every, every part of it because he looks at us and says, now you're wanting to live through faith. You're wanting to live according to my way. And it well, pleases him. And sometimes, yeah. And now I feel pity. Yep. You see that drunk person. You see the you see the drug addicted person. You see the the person who is stuck in their 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 sinful lifestyle that they've they've developed over the years. You see people trapped in fears and phobias and say, "Come to God." God says, "Perfect love casts out all fear," and that is not symbolic when you have God and you know that he is in trouble that he, not in trouble that he is in control of everything it casts out fear because fear is always you're afraid of the future you're never afraid of the of the past because it's past and you know it's past you may regret the past you may get caught in that trap but fears are always afraid of something that may happen always afraid of the future and the more we realize that God is in control of the future and that he will not let anything come my way that he does not know is going to come that takes away fear when I am totally dependent upon the sovereignty of God being in control 
Looking at 1 Corinthians 10.13, there hath nothing overtaken me but such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer me to be tempted above what I am able to withstand, but will with the way, will, will with the temptation provide a way of escape. Nothing comes our way that God didn't know about. Nothing comes our way that he's not in control of. Nothing comes into our path that will not be made for our good. Uh, for good. And that's Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. The more I trust in God, the less fearful I should be because he is in control. Nothing. The one word you will never hear God say is, well, I didn't expect that to happen. No. You'll never hear those words from God. He knows exactly. Now, I might not expect what happened, but God knows exactly what's coming our way. He knows exactly how he's going to use it in, in our life. He knows exactly how it will be used to minister, to minister to other people. He knows exactly how it's going to make us grow. And it's not surprising him. And this is the key. It, nothing, has, nothing is going to surprise him. Nothing is going to be something that he did not know that was going to happen and that, he, that will be totally bad for us. And it is critical for us to understand that. Now, do bad things happen to us? Absolutely, bad things will happen to us. That does not mean that God didn't know it was going to happen and have us prepared for it. He's always going to give us the grace to get through whatever comes our way. And sometimes what comes our way and we think is a terrible thing, we later on will look back on our life and say, wow, because of this, I was able to do this for somebody else. Or because of this, I was able to get strong enough to go through something else. And we've got to understand the more we believe these things, the more we believe that God is in control of everything and nothing bad, you know, that he's going to work all things to our good, nothing is going to be beyond what we can handle because of his grace and his mercy. The more we believe those, the better off we're going to be. And we're not going to get stuck in fear and, and, and torment. The safest place you'll ever be is in the center of God's will. No matter what dangerous position you're in, if you're in his will, you're in the safest place because you will not die until God says it's time to come home. You know, and that's the key. Now, we never know when he's going to tell us to come home. When I broke my leg, it was six months later that I had heart failure. Now, when I had heart failure, I was out in the yard. I passed out. Here the big old cactus, and, and I was right in the middle of my life. I and people will say, oh, you passed out outside and you made it in the house? I said, yeah, God got me up and brought me to the home. <laughs> yep. I mean, they, they look at me like, a, you, how do you know you passed out? I said, well, I woke up in the dirt and didn't remember getting there. Uh-huh. Well, yep. at least you didn't fall on cactus. I had fell on cactus. Well, I did. I didn't like the snow angel on one in the summertime when I had short time. And I went to call this piece of wood. And I wasn't even near, I wasn't even working with cactus, but the wood broke. And I did a snow angel right into the toilet. Uh -huh. And well, I, didn't I didn't get it. I didn't All get right. that big cactus and I was rough out. Yep. Back to con contrite. Uh, the definition for contrite is broken in spirit by a sense of guilt. Okay, and that's what contrite means. Not just broken, but broken because of our sense of guilt. That I am seeing how guilty, how wrong I am, which makes me contrite. Uh, contrition is that whole idea of I'm guilty and I'm, I'm really trying to be, be sorry for it. If you go with somebody with contrition, that's what the courts want to see when somebody, when they talk about somebody 
not showing sorrow for what they've done. They're looking for basically contrition. I did wrong and I'm, I know that I've done wrong. And God says that he will not despise, he will not hold that in contempt. In the world, they look at contrition as something weak. You know, you're weak, you just can't get, you know, you're, you're, you're being sorry for what you've done. And God says, I am not gonna hold contrition in contempt. You know, and this is very important. The last, last couple of verses, do good, do good in your good pleasure unto Zion, build you the walls of Jerusalem, then shall you be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they that offer bullocks upon your altar, then shall they offer bullocks upon your altar. And David's saying, as long as you're going in with the right attitude, God wants God to take the sacrifices. Before, what, why did they always say Zion? Zion is, is Jerusalem. Okay, that's that Zion is actually the mountain on which Jerusalem okay, yeah, sits. Yeah. It's a poetic. It's a poetic word for Jerusalem. Okay. And this is why when you read Jerusalem in the, in the scriptures, Zion is always, of, yeah. is always Jerusalem. And when they talk about the Zionist movement today in Israel, they're talking about the fact that Jews want Jerusalem to be their capital and, and still want it to be capital because it's supposed to be their capital, not Tel Aviv like it is right now. Uh, and the Jews basically are saying Jerusalem is our capital, and that's very much irritating the Palestinians and... And they want, and, and the Jews want America, America to recognize Jerusalem as the capital and not Tel Aviv. So I thought that the president gave them an ultimatum that they had to move the, the capital to Jerusalem. Not our, not our president, anyway. Okay, I, I had a teacher teach me what Tel Aviv means. Okay. It's a city on top of a city on top of a city that's been destroyed, and they put another city on top of that. Another city. Well, all cities in that area are cities upon a city. Tel Aviv. I mean, all the cities in that area are cities built upon cities, so it's... Tel Aviv, that's what it means. I'd have to look that up. I didn't. I'm, I'd have to look that they, up. That's what that word definition of Tel Aviv means. But God is saying that once, once people are broken and contrite, then he'll take the sacrifices. He'll take the burnt offerings. And we talked about the burnt offerings on, in Leviticus class. What, is, what does the burnt offering represent? Complete dedication to God. Propitiation. No, that's the sin offering. <laughs> Yes, they will when they get their temple rebuilt. Well, now, is that contrary to what Jesus Jesus, Jesus fulfilled all the all the, the offerings? But you've got to remember, the Jews don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah yet. But once they build their temple back up, and they want their temple back up because they, even though they will teach now that that good works, you know, your good works will get you to heaven, they don't believe it. Because they know, even though they will tell you, the, the rabbis now will tell you that, that we as Christians, and, and Paul is, as the writer that said, without the, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, which is what it says in the, the Pentateuch. They are struggling because they don't have sacrificial system. How do we get to heaven? So the only way they can get to heaven is, let's go keep the law. But in their heart of hearts, especially the more orthodox they are, they want the temple built. They want sacrifices being made because they know that there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And they're waiting to get Yom Kippur and Passover and, 
and tabernacles and all these feasts and all these sacrifices started so that they can have their sins forgiven. I don't understand. They that's all that's been in the wilderness. Why does it have to be a fancy building on that mountain? Because that's where it was by tradition. But we can worship God anywhere. You've got to go back to tradition. Well, I don't understand why they were always going to start the sacrifice. Yeah. Well, because this is who they are. I mean, this is, they, they're going to go back to tradition because they don't recognize Jesus as Savior. When he comes back as, as the ruler and they see the hands, they see the nail prints in his hands and they see, and then the scriptures say that they will ask who has done this. And he says, my friends and my brethren, and they'll recognize that they did it. Uh, and it's going, to, it's going to be horrendous for the Jews because right now, in Israel, they're, they're one of the most atheistic countries in the world, even though they practice a lot of the, the Jewish rules. They practice some outer tradition. They don't necessarily believe there's a God. They don't necessarily believe in, believe in God. And, but yet they look at the miracles of their, their thing and they go, look at all these things going on. And so there, there's a struggle going on in Israel right now. There's a handful of Orthodox that want the temple. They have already built many of the tools and, and, and stuff they need for the temple. They're just waiting to build the temple. They want it on the temple site because that's where it has been. It's just tradition. You're right, Annie. They could just build a tabernacle following the plan and pull it, plant it anywhere. But their tradition says that it has to be on the temple mount. It has to be in Jerusalem. It has to be on that mountain where the old one, old one was. And that's their tradition. And Revelation tells us that it's where it's going to be built. Mark my words on something. You remember that I said them. If they come to pass, don't pat me on the shoulder. It was the Lord if they don't. But Nepal just had that earthquake, and mosques that have stood there for over a thousand years are gone. That earthquake shook the bricks all down and loose. And Something is going to happen to that mosque, the, holy, the, the Muslim's holy temple, and it's going to be known throughout the world. The Jews didn't have nothing to do with it. It doesn't have to fall for them to build the temple on the temple site because no, the, temple, the, temple is, the temple is is southeast of the mosque. The, the foundations of the temple are southeast of the mosque. And when John was told to measure the, the temple in Revelation, he was told to not include the court of the Gentiles. And by not including the court of the Gentiles, they can have the mosque and the temple built on the same, same, same site with a wall or something between them and fit the scriptures. So you don't even have to see the temple fall. I don't know why. I just have, uh, I don't want the temple. I'm not asking. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you look at what John, you look at what John was told to do, and he said, don't include the, ten, the, the court of the Gentiles because it belongs to the Gentiles. And it really indicates that the foundation, they've already located that the foundation of the old temple is still there, and it's not covered by the Dome of the Rock. Yeah, but have you heard the, the latest one, and I need to shut up because I know you guys got to go. Uh, that there was a temple there before Solomon's temple for God? I forgot. I've heard that there's been a temple there. Melchizedek? 
Yeah, I, they, I don't. They believe Melchizedek I don't know. That's that gets into speculation all the way around. So I mean, it's okay. yeah. Then I'm the, because that's all, if that's all it is, then I've never heard it. I'm, I'm not wouldn't surprise me, but I've never heard that Melchizedek built a temple because we know nothing about Melchizedek. So I don't yeah, believe. So there is no speculation yeah. that I can really accept on that one because there are a number of people, myself included, that believe that Melchizedek was a uh, manifestation of Christ as a Christophany, yeah. in which case there's no temple built there because he was not a you know, ruler of that area. So it's, right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. We thank you for how much you love us and care for everything that's going on. We ask that you bless this week and everything that's going on for each person and that you will give us opportunities to share you, that you will give us the joy of your salvation, the excitement to share with people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.